Okay, we're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 19, 11 through 27, and that's the parable of the pounds. And um, so before we get started, I'll go ahead and have a word of prayer. Lord God in heaven, we're thankful, Lord, uh, for being able to gather together, especially after the fourth. Father, when we celebrate the liberty that we have in this country, Father, uh, the Independence Day, uh, thinking about all of the, the uh, lives that were sacrificed so that we can come and, and worship in freedom. We thank you so much, Lord God, that we live in this country, that we have the liberty to do so, because I'm thinking of other countries that, that, that do not have that liberty. So we're grateful to you, Lord. So therefore, we lift up our prayers to our leadership, Father, to our citizens. Our country is going through some turmoil. I pray, Lord God, that uh, uh, you would help this country, Lord, um, get back on the right track, if it be your will. Uh, to be, and also for us to be mindful of the liberty and to continue to pray for our leaders and for our country, for the citizens of, as well. I pray now, Lord, for your blessing on this time as we look into your word. I pray, Lord, that you would bless us, that we'd come away with something that would be profitable to us and profitable to others. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to look at the, the parable of the pounds, and I entitled this, Occupy Till I Come. And you'll see what, what that is when we get into the lesson. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6 says, uh, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Okay, Proverbs 20 verse 6, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Now I quote uh, this verse found here in, here in Proverbs because I believe that is the, the main point of this parable of the pounds uh, because the Lord, he takes great stock in the faithfulness of his people. He takes great stock in the faithfulness of his servants. If there's one thing that the Lord desires of us is that we be faithful, that we prove to be uh, faithful. Uh, you know, speaking about that, um, uh, as we've read through the Gospel of Luke and stuff, we've noticed these men that we call, that are called Pharisees. And the Pharisees, these were the kind of guys who kind of uh, coveted the praise of others, right? They kind of uh, coveted that, that position of honor uh, that their station in life brought them. In fact, John 12, 43, uh, Jesus himself said that uh, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And that's what they were really all about. But, you know, whose praise is it uh, that we really should seek after? It, it should be the praise praise of our of our savior it should be the praise of our lord and it definitely would be a high honor right uh, to be called um, faithful by the lord when we see him face to face because one of these days we will won't we one of these days we will stand before in the presence of our savior and it would be wonderful to hear from him uh, say of me well done jeff you've been a good and faithful servant now that's something that's something to covet after right whereas the pharisees coveted the praise of men uh, why not covet 
the praise of God. You know, there were other men in the Bible that were considered faithful. Uh, Moses was a man who was considered faithful, Numbers 12, 12 7. Daniel was called a faithful man in Daniel 6 4. Of course, Abraham, right? Faithful Abraham, uh, Galatians 3 9. And then we have men like Timothy. Right? The, the, the friend of Paul, the, the disciple of Paul, he was called faithful in 1 Corinthians 4.17. But th- these are guys we know about. Right? These are guys that are familiar to us. What about a fellow by the name of, and I'm going to butcher his name, Tychicus. Right? Tychicus. You don't hear about Tychicus very much, but in Ephesians 6, 1, he was he's called faithful. Or what about Epaphras? Epaphras. You know, he also in Colossians 1 7 was was considered faithful. Even Onesimus, who was a runaway slave, was considered faithful by the Apostle Paul. And then, of course, we have the Apostle Paul, who also is a a faithful man. Uh, When you think of faithful people, what chapter in the Bible do you think of? Hebrews chapter. 11, right? Hebrews chapter 11, that chapter is full of of men and women who were of this faithful caliber. And honestly, I believe that any sincere believer in Jesus Christ uh, desires to hear on that day what? Well done, thou good and faithful. Uh, Don't you hope to hear that? I sure hope to hear that. I really do. I hope to hear Jesus say of me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So I think that's the main focus or the main point of this parable of the pounds. Now, uh, let's start off here and let's look at verse 11. It says here in Acts 19:11, As they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem and... Because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So this, this parable that Jesus is getting ready to share, he's getting ready to share with a mixed multitude. And what I mean by that is that not only are his 12 apostles there and those disciples that uh, follow along with them, but also there's the crowd, because where is the crowd headed? It's headed for Jerusalem because of a, a high feast day. The Passover is soon is soon to occur. So it's a mixed multitude that is following Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, and these folks are excited. Uh, these folks are really pumped up about something, and what it is that they're all pumped up about is they, they're expecting a grand event to happen when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, and what they're expecting to happen is they're thinking that uh, Jesus is going to bring about the, the kingdom. They think that Jesus is going to uh, bring about the kingdom, the kingdom that they've been, they've been looking forward to, the kingdom uh, that uh, they've all been excited about. And I think a, a part of this is, what, uh, is because of what Jesus said in verse 10 in chapter 19, where he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save uh, that which was lost. So they may have misunderstood his words in thinking and referring to the lost house of the sheep of Israel, right? Because Jesus at one time, that's what he called Israel, the lost 
the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so what they were thinking was that when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem as the king, as the Messiah, then he would miraculously bring about this kingdom. And that he would deliver, deliver Israel from the Roman oppressors and that Jesus would establish his kingdom and have rule over the earth. That's what they were truly expecting to happen. So they were really, they were really juiced about all this stuff. I mean, after all, John the Baptist, uh, when he was alive, what did he preach? He preached the kingdom of heaven. Even Jesus in the beginning of his ministry, when he preached, he preached about the kingdom. But what was going on? What was going on? What has finally uh, uh, evolved up to this point is this. The Jewish leadership has systematically rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And not only have they systematically rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah, but their what is it? Their attitude and their behavior and their actions became progressively hostile, didn't it? I mean, it just became progressively hostile. And in fact, it would become so hostile, what would soon happen is that they would deliver Jesus to the Romans and have him crucified. So that's, that was what was going on at the time. Now we've already learned in chapter 17 of Luke's Gospel that Jesus has told his disciples, hey, the kingdom has been postponed. Because of the Jewish leadership rejecting, not wanting to believe that I'm the Messiah. Uh, the kingdom has been postponed to a future time. And that's what this parable of the pounds is all about. The parable of the pounds is designed to further reinforce what Jesus has already taught that the kingdom that these folks are expecting has been postponed for a future time. And the emphasis of this particular parable is not upon the Jews, but is upon a group of people who are waiting for the coming promised kingdom. That's the group that we're talking about here in this parable. It is a group of people who are waiting for the Lord to return. Why do we know this? Because of what it says there in the passage. He tells these folks, Occupy till I come. And we're going to talk about that. Occupy until I, until I come. This gives us the sum and substance of the intention of this parable. So every story has its cast of characters. So I want to look at the cast of characters. So look at verse 12. As he begins to relate this parable, he said, Therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. So there's the gist of the parable right there. So let's look at these characters. First of all, we're introduced to a, this certain nobleman. 
Now this certain nobleman would be the Lord himself who after his resurrection and ascension, where is he at right now? Sitting at the right hand of the Father on high, right? So that's where he is right now. He has gone to receive a kingdom for himself. That's exactly what he's done. He's ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He has received the kingdom. God has given him the kingdom. This is what the prophet Daniel saw when God had revealed to him in a vision the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, receiving the kingdom. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, Daniel writes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and the kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. That has been fulfilled, and all that remains is for the Lord Jesus Christ to return and set up that kingdom. That's all that remains. He's already got the kingdom. All he needs to do is come back and set it up, establish it. Then we have the hateful citizens. Uh, some some Bible uh, students uh, believe that uh, uh, this parable that Jesus is sharing is like all parables. It relates to something that uh, these Jews would be familiar with, like the sower of the seed, right? Everybody's seen a, a man out there sowing seed. Uh, so they believe that there's a, a historical event that occurred that these Jews could relate to. And when Jesus was a, a young boy... Uh, Archelaus, the son of Herod the Great, after Herod the Great had died, wanted Herod's kingdom. He wanted justice place and just rule the entire kingdom of Herod the Great at the time well there were about, the Jews didn't want that to happen so there were 50 notable Jewish leaders that were hot on the heels of Archelaus and they petitioned um, Augustus Augustus, uh, don't give this man what he wants it was bad enough under Herod the Great, it would be worse under this man don't let this man have what he wants. So what Augustus did was, is he split Herod's kingdom up and only made, and made Archelaus a tetriarch. In other words, he only had a small portion. So he didn't get the whole kit in the caboodle. He only had a small portion. And it's interesting also that in Jericho, where Jesus is telling this parable, that If you were a Jew and Jesus starts talking about this parable, ah, you know what? That's a little bit about our history because there was a particular man that this very same thing happened. All right? So this is something that the Jews may hone in on. They may, you know, uh, connect with because that's exactly what the Jewish leadership was doing with Jesus Christ, wasn't it? 
Jesus came to present himself as king, and what did they do? They rejected him as king. They rejected him as king. And that brings us to the hated citizens, the Jews. The Jewish leadership, the Pharisees, the priesthood, the elders, the Sanhedrin. All of those folks did not want Jesus to reign. They were the hated citizens. They didn't want Jesus to reign over them. In fact, when that crucial moment came and Pilate presented Jesus before the people and before the leadership, uh, he said to them, you know, would you have me crucify your king? He says, behold your king. Would you have me crucify your king? And what did they say in John 19? They all cried out, we have no king but Caesar. So they rejected Jesus as their king. We, want, we don't want this man to reign over us. And so Jesus uh, was led away to be crucified. So truly the hateful citizens here are, are the Jews. But there's also another set of people that could be called hateful citizens. And that would be represented by the Romans, which would represent the world. The world. The world itself does not want Jesus to reign over it. The world itself is is rebellious against the Lord Jesus Christ. They do not want Jesus Christ to reign over the world. And one of these days there's going to rise up a powerful, influential man that we know of as the Antichrist. And he's going to uh, try to get the whole world together, right, to be against Christ. And, And... And even he's going to go as far as try to uh, fight Christ when he comes again in the Valley of Megiddo at the Battle of Armageddon. Does he win? No, he does not. But he's sure going to try. He's sure going to try. So we've got the Jews and we've got the world both saying we have no king but Caesar. So these are the hated citizens. But who I really want to focus on are the ten servants. Because this is the group that is the true focus of this whole parable. First of all, the number 10. Uh, If you've been around for a while, if you've gone through D2, uh, you know that numbers in the Bible are significant. And some of the numbers are a little more clear in their signification and meaning than other words are. For example, the number seven signifies uh, spiritual um, perfection or spiritual completion. The number ten speaks of two things. One, it speaks about the perfection of divine order. And it also refers to Gentile nations. So, perfection of divine order and Gentile nations. So what do I mean by uh, perfection of divine order? Well, 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, Let all things be done decently in order. Is God a God of order? Yes, he is. You can see that in his creation. Uh, He wants order within his church. Yes, God is a God of order. Uh, So what is meant by perfection of divine order, it means a completeness of order. It means uh, making entire. It means rounding a thing out to its completion. As an example, Noah is the tenth generation from God, right? Noah completes, I'm going to use a fancy term, the antediluvian age or 
that, that group of people that lived from creation to the flood. He's the 10th generation. And it was within his lifetime that what occurred? The flood. The flood. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are complete in their order and their number. And within the Ten Commandments you have everything, the baseline, the foundation to fulfill the Great Commandment, which is to what? Love God. Right? And the second one, which is like it. Love your fellow man. That's what Paul says in Romans 13.8. He says, Oh, no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So the Ten Commandments is the complete law. No more, no less. No more, no less. There were ten plagues upon Egypt. No more, no less. That's all that was required of God to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. Ten plagues upon Egypt. And one more example, uh, the Antichrist. How many kings will he have under his control? Ten. The ten toes and the ten horns of the beast. So that's another example of this perfection of divine order. Even if you look at this particular parable of the pounds, you see a perfection of divine order. Now stay with me. You see Christ ascending into heaven, going away into a far country to receive a country, uh, to receive a kingdom, sitting on the right hand of the Father. And while he's gone... His servants are to be preaching the gospel, bringing in that investment that he did on the cross of Calvary. And they are to do that, waiting for his coming. And then when he comes, he's going to reward the faithful and he's going to what? Punish the wicked. There's that perfection, that complete circle. That's what we're living at right now. Right now. Number 10 also represents Gentiles in the Bible. Genesis 15, 19-29, it was 10 Gentile nations that was listed when God gave Abraham that promise, ratified that promise rather. In Acts 15, 13-20, where the apostles met to tackle the issues whether or not the Gentile believers should observe the law of Moses. And they got their heads together and they prayed about it and they came up with the conclusion that no, they did not have to. In Acts 15, 14, uh, James stands up and he says, Simon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And that's what's going on today, folks. Raise your hand if you're a Jew. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Yeah. We're all Gentiles. Kenley didn't raise his hand, so I'm not sure what he is. But we're all Gentiles. God's calling a people 
after his name from the Gentiles. This is the season that we are all in right now. This is the season that we are all... And that's what it means by occupy till I come. The word occupy means to carry on a business or a task or a responsibility that has been given to you by your superior. Right? It'd be like if I were working for Kinley and Kinley says, okay, I've got to go downtown Kansas City to pick up some stuff, but while I'm gone, clean up the shop and put all the tools away. Right? That would be my occupation until Kinley returns. The same thing with us. We have an occupation. We have a responsibility. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's our occupation right now. That is our responsibility. That is what we should be all about. Because you see, the Father invested the precious blood of the Lamb of God to redeem mankind, and now he has entrusted us with that message. We are to be investing in the souls of men and women and children. The majority of the bride of Christ as church today is made up of Gentiles. And it's interesting because in Romans 11.25, when Paul was talking about Israel, he said Israel is blind in part until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. One of these days, the last Gentile will receive Jesus Christ. And then we're going to hear that trumpet. And, God, and Christ is going to come back for his bride. I remember a pastor one time saying, wouldn't it be great if you were the one to bring in that last Gentile into the house of God? Wouldn't that be great? But we're not going to if you don't tell anybody. And so he talks to his servants. And it says here in verse 13, And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. I just want to mention three things about these servants. The first thing, notice that he says he called his ten servants. You know what that tells me? Possession. His servants. Possession. Possession. This signifies that this nobleman had claim upon their lives. They were not their own. They were his Servants. First Corinthians six nineteen to twenty says, "What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which our which which are God's." Who owns you? Jesus. He owns us. Sometimes we forget or we ignore the claim that the Lord Jesus Christ has on our lives. But he bought us with his own blood. He 
purchased us with his life. And so for you to live your life independent of him, like a lot do, that's not the way to go, folks. To do your own thing. Yeah, I'm saved. I've got fire insurance, but I'm going to live my life the way I want to. I'm going to do what I want to. That's not living up to the expectation that he's placed on our lives. Romans 6.11 says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a lot of Christians who've got that reversed. They live unto sin instead of living unto God through Jesus Christ. That's not the way to go. The second thing is commission. Commission. He says here, deliver them ten pounds. That speaks of commission. Each of these ten servants were given one pound each to trade and invest in order to give a return to their master when he came back. It was the nobleman's pound given to his servants. There was a commission. 1 Timothy 1, 11-12, Paul says, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. We have been entrusted with the glorious gospel of God. He has committed that to our trusts, each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. First Peter 4.10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Do you realize that you are a steward of the grace of God for others? You don't own that grace, but you are to be a steward of that grace. Your responsibility is to hand out that grace to others. We're not to hide it in a napkin and sit on it. We're to share it. And then the second, or the third thing is the occupation. Occupy till I come. This is our... Do you realize that God is so gracious that he gives you the option to either be a good steward or be a bad steward? God, in his grace, has given you the option to either be involved or not be involved. You can do whatever you want with the pound that he gave you. You can sit on your hands if you want. Or you can get out and you can share if you want. You can do whatever you want. But let me tell you something. One of these days, you will be held accountable. You will be held accountable. You will have to give an answer. Why did you sit on your hands? Why did you hide it in a napkin? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 11 through 15 talk about this. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad. I'm telling you guys, you and me we will be held accountable if we have lived a selfless life or a selfish life. Now I didn't like being called on the carpet by my boss in this life. And I definitely don't want to be called on the carpet by the Lord Jesus Christ standing there with those nail-scarred hands and ask me, why did you live a selfish life, Jeff? A faithful servant is one who recognizes Christ's lordship, their commission, and their obligation, and they seek to fulfill it by God's grace. That brings us to reward or rebuke. In verses 15 through 26, we've got that day of reckoning. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom... Then he commanded these servants to be called on to him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound which I have laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man, thou takest up, thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid, laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money un, into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I, saith unto, for I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. So we're introduced to three of the ten servants who had been entrusted with this nobleman's pound, And I believe that these three are representative of the servants of the Lord in our day today. The first servant who had been trusted with one pound upon his master's return was able to give back to his master a profit of ten pounds. A second man, a profit of five pounds. Okay? Both of these servants were commended by their master for their faithfulness, and they were rewarded accordingly. Now, some that I have researched teach that the second servant was a failure, in part, 
because he had not succeeded in, in, in bringing out the, the investment of 10 pounds like the first servant. They said he was a failure in part because he didn't bring back the 10 pounds. He only brought five. And they make this assumption because with the first servant, the, the returning nobleman, the king said, well, thou good servant. But they say the second one didn't hear those words. But it says right here that he said likewise to him. Right? So yes, he also was commended as a good servant. See, I think this is splitting hairs. And there are people who love to split hairs. But just like the sower of the seed. Remember the seed that was sown on good ground? And remember what it said about the fruit bearing? Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. That's what we've got here. That's what we've got here. Remember, the key is faithfulness in what God has entrusted to you. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, it says, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. 1 Peter 4.10, Peter writes, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Verse 11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. We each have been given gifts by God. We each have been entrusted with a pound by God. Some excel in one area, while others excel in another area. Right? The important thing is this. Be faithful with what God has entrusted to you. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? He says, So run that ye may obtain. You see, the exhortation is to strive for excellence. Every one of us. Paul said this in Philippians 3.14. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're all to press and to strive for that excellence in our service and our faithfulness to God. I love what one pastor preached one Sunday. He says, God is looking for quality and not quantity. I know a lot of folks who produce quantity, but there's no quality. There's no quality. And I know folks who produce quality even though there's no quantity. There's folks over here in the E-Wing teaching the kids. And that's all they do. 
But they do an excellent job because they're faithful in what God has called them to do. And those kids love them and those kids look forward to a Sunday to come when that particular person is teaching and ministering to them. Why is that? Because that person is faithful and he's giving them quality. Or she's giving them quality. Charles Spurgeon said, Sincerity makes the very least person to be of more value than the most talented hypocrite. There's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. You know, if one is gifted and able to return 10 pounds, then he was faithful in that ability. If one is gifted and able to return five pounds, then they are faithful in that ability. That's what God's looking for. Are you faithful with what God has entrusted with you, or have you wrapped it up in a napkin and are sitting on it? He's looking for faithful men and women. Be faithful. You know, some have been called to be like a Moses or a Paul. Um, Our pastor, Brian, he's got a high calling. And it's amazing to me what that man does and gets accomplished. I couldn't do that. This man's got a vision for this church that goes on a hundred years from now. But that's the ability that God's given him. And Pastor Brian is being faithful to that ability. That's all God's looking for in us. Be faithful. Be faithful. Some of us are a Moses or a Paul. And some of us are Epaphroditus or an Anisimus. Right? Who you don't want to be like is that third servant. You don't want to take what God has entrusted with you and wrap it up in a napkin and sit on it. You want to show a return. You want to show a return on the master's investment in you as you invest in others. You know, there's lots of folks who fail to take advantage of what the Lord has entrusted to them. And a lot of folks who neglect the opportunities for whatever reason provided for them. They choose to be unfaithful. It is a choice. I don't care what your excuse is. I don't care what your reason is. It is a choice you make whether or not you're going to be faithful or unfaithful. It's a choice. You can either be active or inactive. It's your choice. In regards to this third servant, he was a fearful servant. He was a fearful servant rather than a faithful servant. This is kind of weird if you think about this individual. He feared his master's judgment on his stewardship... and because of his fear of his master's judgment on his stewardship... He wasn't faithful in his stewardship. Does that make any sense to you? He was so afraid of what his master would say to him about his stewardship that he didn't do anything. And fear will do that. 
Fear will paralyze you, make you inactive. Something something else about fear, uh, fear is selfish. Fear is selfish. Men who are controlled by fear, and women as well, they're operating off of self-interest rather than for interest in others or love for others or love for God. It's self-interest. It's self-serving. It's selfish. 1 John 4.17 says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You see, this servant's self-love, self-interest, overruled his love and interest in regards to his king. Therefore, he hid what was entrusted into his care. He hid what was entrusted into his care, and instead of being a profit, instead of being a profitable servant, he became an unprofitable servant because he let fear rule him. A lot of people do that. A lot of people are ruled by fear. My goodness, look what's been going on in this country lately. It's almost like this country is being driven by fear. John 14:15 says, "If you love me, keep my commandments." Now, this man was fearful because of his estimation of the noblemen. Right? His fear produced a perspective about this nobleman, that he was an austere man that he picked up and and grabbed for himself what didn't belong to him. That was the servant's estimation of his master because of his fear. And fear will do that. Fear will give you the wrong perspective on things. Again, look what's going on in this country. Fear will give you the wrong perspective on things. And it's interesting. The nobleman judged this unprofitable servant according to the unprofitable servant's estimation of the nobleman. You see that there? Now folks don't like to think about the gentle Jesus as being a hard man. But consider this. The Lord is hard only to this fearful idle servant. Because the idle servant did not have the Lord's interest at heart, then the Lord judged him accordingly. Remember what it said in 2 Corinthians 5? We will be judged on those things that we do in this body, whether they be good or bad. The kid in school thinks the teacher's mean because the teacher's always on his case. Well, does the kid ever realize that he's a brat and a troublemaker in the class and the teacher has to treat him as such? Why? That's why he thinks that way of the teacher. You see, sometimes we don't think about that. Sometimes we don't realize that we bring some of this stuff on ourselves. 
And then we think, oh, the, God's mean. Or mom's mean. Those who make the Lord's interests, their interests, they're going to find that the Lord's service is light and joyful. Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know about you guys, I'm kind of thick-headed about this. But I find that things go along for me a lot better when I'm obedient (laughs) than when I'm not. Now, I'm not saying when you're being obedient, everything goes really great and well, but I'm a lot better off and I'm a lot happier than when I'm being a knucklehead and being rebellious and being disobedient. So we see two types of servants here. The faithful who were faithful what was entrusted to them to the best of their ability and the unfaithful servant who suffered loss. Just like it says there in 1 Corinthians 3. I'm going to close. I've just got time to close with principles of service. Three things about service. And the first is trust. Trust. The Lord has entrusted to each of us a pound. Trust. When you entrust something to someone, what does that say of the someone that you entrusted this thing to? That you trust them. Right? That you trust them. Think about it this way. God trusts you to do right with what he has entrusted you with. Do you ever think of it that way? That God trusts you with whatever it is he's entrusted you with. That you'll do right by it. And God has entrusted us with a lot. And that's kind of weird to say it that way. The gospel, the Great Commission, the Bible, other matters of uh, spiritual weight. If you are discipling someone, you've been entrusted with that person to take them to those 16 lessons. And so God has entrusted you to do to the best of your ability investing that person's life. You know, we've got some folks in this church, you know, they don't hold an office, they don't hold a title, they don't have a position in this church. But I can name names of couples in this church who are the greatest disciplers I know. Because that's what they do. They'll take a couple or they'll take an individual and they will invest in that person these 16 lessons and teach them the foundations of their faith and provide them everything that they need to get a good start on their new life in Christ. And you can see the fruit of that investment in the lives of these other people that they've invested in. 
they're, they're now involved in ministry. They're now teaching others the word of God. They're now living their lives. No longer are they addicted to this or addicted to that. Now they're addicted to Christ in the ministry. If you've been entrusted with that, then strive for excellence in that. Strive for excellence in that. 1 Corinthians 4.1 says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You know, it's better to examine ourselves now in regards to our excellence because we can fix things now. We can make corrections now. Then it is to be examined later before Christ because then it's too late to fix things. It's too late to make the corrections. No, do it now. Along with trust comes tests. With trust always comes tests. And tests are designed to prove your faithfulness. Well, I'm not going to come to church anymore because somebody said that my hair was, was stupid. It sounds silly, but you can't. it's amazing to me why people quit coming to church because of some of the silliest things. When chief season was going on, I know, I know of a man who wouldn't come to church because he had to watch the chiefs. Some of the silliest things. With trust comes tests. These tests may come in the form of a hardship or persecution, deprivation, temptations. Let me tell you something else. Tests even come when you're successful, when you're being blessed, when things are going good. That can also be a time of testing. Whatever it is, the the key is to be faithful. I don't have anything to wear, so I'm not going to go to church. Put on jeans, come to church, be faithful. Be faithful. You know, Daniel is a, is a prime example of a man who was faithful. He lived in an environment that was hostile to him and his faith. And when he was serving under Darius, there were men that hated him. And so they sought how they could... Uh, put a black mark on Daniel, make him look bad in the eyes of the king. And so they, they inquired about his personal life. And as far as his job was concerned, he was as honest as the day long. As far as his attitude was concerned, it was you know right on the money. They couldn't find anything wrong with this man's personal life. He was squeaky clean. So what did, you know what they did? They said, well, we can't get anything on his personal life. You know how we're going to attack him? We're going to attack him through his faith. So they got, they tricked the king in an abolishing prayer. You can only go to the king to pray. You can't pray to a deity. Did Daniel says, well, okay. No. He went home and he prayed like he always did. He was faithful. And God was faithful to Daniel because he, right, he was thrown into the lion's den and he was delivered. Faithful. So trust and test and then reward. The reward for faithful service 
is greater service. <laughs> I know, it doesn't sound like much of a reward, does it? But that's, that's the reward for faithfulness. If you're entrusted with something, you prove yourself faithful to that something, then you're entrusted with something bigger. Luke 16.10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is, all, is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the righteous mammon, who will commit to you your trust, the true riches? The reward of those who have, test, who have been entrusted with something and have passed the test of what they've been trusted in, God will entrust them even more. And when you are entrusted with even more, then there's even greater reward and greater glory in the future. It's good to be someone that other people trust in. That doesn't seem to be, that doesn't seem to fly well today. But it's good to be someone that other people trust in. A steady Eddie. Someone who is faithful, a faithful Francine or a faithful Frank. Remember, he says, occupy till he comes. As we await death or the trumpet, we are to be faithful. Faithful. We are to be faithful in the face of those who fall around us. Ephesians 6.13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Guys, we are approaching evil days. If you haven't been paying attention, we are becoming the targets. Be faithful. Stand. We must be faithful ambassadors with the message of peace. 2 Corinthians 5.19 we've been, we've been committed unto us the word of reconciliation. We need to be faithful with that word of reconciliation. Do you realize that we have the message that brings rebellious man and a forgiving God together? That we can... We have the message that will form an eternal friendship. In closing, in the Christian life, there's no standing still. We either press on or we sit on it. We either strive or we fall back. We either stand or we fall. We either press on or we falter. Proverbs twenty four sixteen: For a just man falleth seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. So my question is this. Have you stumbled? Have you faltered? Are you sitting on it? My word to you is get up Press on. Be faithful. For there is great reward for all who do. Amen? Kinley, would you close us in prayer if you don't mind?